Campfire Classics is a classic literature podcast. However, your hosts will occasionally use not-so-classy language and immature humor to describe very mature situations. As such, listener discretion is advised. Hi, I'm Ken Sandberg. And I'm Heather Michelle Lawler. Welcome to Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf. I've got COVID-19, it's my fifth day in quarantine. Have we at any point <laughs> riffed on the fact that COVID-19 and quarantine rhyme nicely? No, because I have not had COVID-19 yet and therefore have had no need to quarantine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, and Well, I mean, I did but... I did quarantine quite a bit when, you know, the peak, because, you know, I didn't see anybody for a year except you and my parents, basically. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, I uh, so the invincible Heather Michelle Lawler has uh, officially become invincible. So, uh, yes, I got back from Thanksgiving with my family, which I'm very glad I did. But stupid me has like, you know, like most of the world has loosened up. And the fact I survived three cruise contracts without getting it, I was like, I can fly on this plane without a mask. That was a fail. (laughs) Oops. So, y'all, COVID is not gone, and the past five days have been poopy. So, (laughs) just so you know, Ken was like, should I just record a solo episode? I'm like, no, I think I can do this. Plus, I have a big callback tomorrow, so I, like... I'm gonna this have is gonna to, be your the beginning is, of your vocal warm up. We're yes. starting your warm up right now <laughs> for a shakes outdoor Shakespeare festival. Like, <laughs> come on, like, fuck. Um, but I'm okay. I mean, for the most part, I didn't lose my taste and smell, which thank God, because that freaks me out. Um, yeah. Well, uh, especially because there are people talking about like they lose their taste and back. smell, and it never really comes back. I cannot. like you can taste some things, but it better have a lot of hot sauce on it. I cannot. Like, I would be so sad if I never tasted <laughs> wine again. Like, <laughs> what's funny is I have not had any wine during my COVID positive. So what I've been drinking is I got this 100% cranberry pomegranate juice. It's like all vitamins, you know. It's a little sugar, but it's mainly juice. And uh, and I've been pouring it into a wine glass and chugging i mean I've, I've gone through like two bottles like it's because it's very refreshing and it i know it's got good stuff in it and it's like my fake wine <laughs> yeah it's also good for your urinary tract right it is it is good for my <laughs> urinary tract because no one wants a uti on top of covid19 top of covid that would that just be a shitty way sounds to go. horrible <laughs> my head hurts i can't breathe i'm tired and i'm peeing weird oh yeah God. i've just basically been sleeping i mean it's been insane. Like I've been sleep. Like I'll wake up from fourteen hours of sleep and still be tired. <laughs> like, uh, but yeah, that's. I mean, that has been my week. So, yeah. Like, um, we, uh, made some. We didn't have all of the right spices to do it, but we made some mulled wine last night. Mm, here it looks so good. You sent me West a picture. Virginia. There were we we had some apples and oranges that we put in, and we had some cloves. I was going to say cloves is the big important part. Cloves is the big one. Um, And we had cinnamon and some like vanilla and honey. Mm, Um, And that was really tasty. Um, I I missed uh, I missed the nutmeg and the allspice berries. Yes. um, Because those add a lot. But it was quite tasty. 
Um, we ended up dropping an apple into everybody's cup when everything was done mulling, like one of the one of the apple slices that we yeah. were mulling it in. And so we were, everyone was going around sipping, sipping the wine and we were chit chatting and having a lovely time. And then as people were getting to the bottom of their glasses, it was like, oh, that's not, hey, I'm going to try eating this apple. And that's when the drunk kicked in. Yeah, I was going to say that's because that that was just pure booze. (laughs) That was a a heavily alcoholic apple wedge. That's like when I used to go. There were a couple bars in Iowa City I've gone to. I know other bars do this, but uh, they had cherry bombs. And I mean, it's very similar to my mom's tequila tomatoes is you buy a cherry bomb for a dollar. It had been soaked in Everclear for who knows how long. That thing was just sitting on the bar. So. These cherries were just like a shot of Everclear, basically, but they didn't taste as bad because it was cherry. So it was cherry. It's cherry Everclear. Yeah. So those it's things are cherry dangerous. flavored rubbing alcohol. Well, we will make some mulled wine when you get home. Yes. Um, for the mulled holidays, wine or 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 a nice mulled cider. I like Ooh. a good mulled cider. Well, I know when you get back, we're gonna go to the the uh, German. Christmas festival market in yeah. Love Park, which I've been wanting to go to, but I can't leave the house. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listener, what is your favorite um, holiday or if not specifically holiday, at least seasonal snack or beverage? Mm, yeah. Um, we've been talking mulled ciders and wines. Those yeah. are some of mine, although I'm also uh, particularly fond of the chocolate oranges that seem to only come out this time oh, of year. you like those. I love those. The dark, oh. cho- cho- dark chocolate oranges. Those are okay. great. I haven't had those in a long time. My parents got me, uh, uh, me and my sister, a Cadbury advent calendar. So it's if you don't know what Cadbury is, then you're not from England, clearly. Um, Cadbury is like the most famous. It's what Roald Dahl based Willy Wonka on the Chocolate Factory off of. Well, and Cadbury's a big deal here because Cadbury is like the official Easter candy. Yes, that's what has like crossed the, the ocean is the Easter candy. Um, but it, it is like year round that famous in England. And I've been to the factory and my parents were at a British shop in San Diego and found these advent calendars. So every night I've been opening it and it's been because I tested positive on December 1st. So literally my COVID treat every night has been crawling <laughs> into bed and opening the advent calendar Ooh. and getting a little chocolate. What's, what's <laughs> my advent candy? It was, it's been really nice because I love, I love Cadbury roses. Like it's got like a rose, like cream inside. It's like so good. And yeah. Uh, Speaking of advent calendars, um, I believe on Tuesday when our episode last week dropped, uh, my mother did reach out to point out that in fact, bourbon advent calendars are a thing and have been a thing for a very long time. We are so not cool. I'm just not up on the Christmas traditions. <laughs> well, next year I'm on it. I'm going to order one of those Costco wines. I'm going to order like a bourbon one. I'm just going to be like, like boozed Christmas, boozy Christmas. Wee. Um, Wee. But yeah, so, uh, so listener, please do um, let us know what your favorite special seasonal treat is this time of year. I always enjoy seeing what other people's uh, kind of holiday special treats are what yeah, what they like to different do countries. in the winter yeah. especially like from different like countries and cultures and it's always fascinating yeah. like i celebrated two christmases on the on the cruise ship and it was very interesting talking to people from around the world and like what their christmas tradition is so yeah tell us yours we'll, we'll yeah. be happy to hear about it 
speaking of hearing from listeners and specifically my mother. Um, <laughs> hi, Jamie. <laughs> hi, Mom. Uh, welcome to this week's Clown Corner. Oh, no. Did your mother do this? Yeah. So my mom sent in a recommendation. Uh, for oh, no. Clown Corner. I'm scared. Uh, so, hey, listeners, welcome to Clown Corner. If you're new or haven't been listening for a while, Clown Corner is the part of the show where I talk about clowns because now we've got people <laughs> who are actually reaching out and saying that they enjoy it, which means our listeners are way weirder than I thought they were. Oh, I knew. <laughs> <laughs> I always knew. I had faith in them forever and always. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but, uh, this week the, uh, clown corner is a recommendation from my mom, uh, because she had a student who was a huge fan of these particular clowns. Oh God. Insane clown posse. Oh yes, yes, yes. (laughs) I, I, yes. Uh, so for our listeners who didn't grow up in the nineties, insane clown posse, often just known by their initials, ICP is a, um, theatrical horror inspired hip hop horror core group that perform in terrifying carnival clown makeup. So basically they would have been an amazing Eurovision act. (laughs) Oh my God. Yeah. They would have been an amazing Eurovision act. Yeah. If the USA had been in, if the US, which makes sense, it's not in Eurovision, but if the U S was ever a part of Eurovision, that would have been the act we sent in the 90s. Send insane clown posse. (laughs) Do, well, there's still time because They're they still, are still performing. Oh yeah. They're still going. <laughs> In fact, they released an album last October. Fuck yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, they they are known for their wild makeup, for having an incredibly dedicated fan base known as Juggalos. Uh, they have created their own afterlife mythology called Dark Carnival. They also co-founded their own recording label, Psychopathic, and they run their own professional wrestling organization called <laughs> Juggalo Championship Wrestling. Okay, okay. I knew about the Juggalos because I had some friends that were super into them. Um, I did not know about their own religion slash afterlife. And I definitely did not know about the wrestling. Their their (laughs) professional wrestling ring. Yeah, yeah, I knew about their producing company because there's some other well-known, like decently well-known people under them. That now now record with them, yeah. But Um, what? Yeah. So uh, the reason for the professional wrestling is because that's actually where they started. Uh, So the two Josephs who are the two like they've always been members of the group. The rest of the the rest of the group rotates. But the two Josephs, Joseph, Joseph, by the way. Yeah. Joseph Bruce and Joseph Utzler uh, met in Oak Park, Michigan, uh, northern suburb of Detroit where they and some friends held backyard wrestling events in homemade wrestling rings. Amazing. Um, This group of friends recorded an album under the name JJ Boys, presumably JJ because Joseph Joseph and Joseph. Joseph. Um, But they were really like, that was sort of a side project. They were much more focused on getting their professional wrestling careers started. I wish they'd been the Technicolor Dreamcoat Boys. But that sounds like an <laughs> underground gay club, I guess. 
It kind of does, which really isn't their vibe. That's not their vibe, and that would not fly in, like, Detroit in the 90s. I'll tell you yeah. that right now. So. Um, so Joseph Bruce eventually got fed up with the, the behind-the-scenes politics that goes on in professional wrestling. So he and Utsler, uh, and they um, Joseph Utsler's younger brother, John, also joined them for a while. But these two donned their stage names that are the names they still use, Violent J and Shaggy 2 Dope. <laughs> and they started performing at local venues under the name Inner City Posse. Okay. Um, so that's because Inner the, City Insane Clown. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So this, the, the reason they were the Inner City Posse is because um, when they were like coming up and just looking for a basically a group to hang with for like yeah. protection in Detroit. Um, they created essentially a gang that was called the inner city posse. Okay. And so that was the name that they started performing under as well. Okay. Uh, so they were trying to make it as a gangster rap group, but the market was kind of saturated. Plus they're super white. So well, that didn't go wait, great. So they're from Detroit. Is, Detroit that's, in that's the where, early 90s. So this is where Eminem is like coming up. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And they yeah. had a thing with him later on. Oh, OK. <laughs> Great. Can't wait. So, yeah, they're, they're <laughs> trying to make it as a gangster rap group, but the market's pretty saturated. So they started looking for a way to distinguish themselves from other similar acts. And they turned to supernatural inspiration for their lyrics, which is why they have this sort of theatrical gothic horror theme running through most of their albums when did they switch to clowns uh, that's that's coming that's, up next okay because <laughs> all of a sudden they decided that inner city posse yeah that's the name of a gangster rap group yeah not the name of a horror core group yes so they're but but they liked the initials they liked icp icp icp, ICP. that felt okay. cool to them so they were kicking around a bunch of names and then joseph bruce remembered having a dream where he was being chased by a killer clown and so they decided how about insane clown posse oh we've all had that dream but i didn't yep. start a band <laughs> so uh they agreed on the name the new band was born and they agreed that since the name is insane clown they should probably go on stage wearing terrifying clown makeup amazing and that was their gimmick. So since then, they have released 16 albums, including their one, their most recent one, just last October. Uh, they have um, one of the most famous slash infamous fan bases in all of music. There is an annual gathering of the Juggalos, often known simply as The Gathering. Um, <laughs> the Juggalos are such a large fan base, such a large group that they have actually developed gangs and splinter factions within the Juggalos that are apparently are oftentimes in in direct confrontation with each other. Um, but they're also incredibly uh, wide, like what they do covers uh, a wide range of things because some of them are like have sort of violent criminal tendencies and there are other groups of juggalos that are essentially charitable organizations okay that just like raise money for school kids in in poor cities so basically you're saying that there is no demographic that follows the insane clown posse it is like all people from all like walks of life yeah. and yeah they're 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 pulling in people from all over the place 
cool. from all kinds of backgrounds. Um, apparently their stage shows are just insane. Insane. <laughs> yeah. That is what I've heard. I have friends who have been to their shows and I've seen clips. Like, I mean, I was a kid, I was in high school in the nineties. So like, you know, I, yeah. I was aware of them. It was just never my thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I have a very clear image of them in my head. <laughs> yep. That 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 super freaky, like stark black and white, mm-hmm. almost Rorschach test looking clown makeup. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Again, Eurovision. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there will be pictures of these guys up on oh, our yes. social media in the next couple of days. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, so members of ICP have been in and out of legal trouble. Um, many of them have spent some time in jail. Uh, All right. <laughs> they had beef with several other artists, including but not limited to Eminem. Uh, but in fairness, who hasn't had beef with Eminem that, at some point in the last kind of 30 true, years? Actually. <laughs> um, they have been attacked by critics who have called them cheap, cheap knockoffs of bands like Beastie Boys, Faith No More and Guar. But despite Faith some, no more. Yeah. <laughs> But despite some of these troubles and setbacks, they continue to be one of the most popular music acts in their genre, drawing huge crowds at every concert, and frankly, one of the most popular clown acts for the last 30 years. That's amazing. Well, so they're they're basically the nickelback of their genre, where people, you either love kinda, them or you hate them. Kind of, <laughs> yeah. You love it because I know people that fucking love, like, I'm going to shout out to Claudio. I don't know if he's listening over in Rome, but my friend who played <laughs> Paul McCartney in the Beatles tribute band on the ship, fucking brilliant singer, mu- musician, like incredible, incredible. And his favorite band is Nickelback. <laughs> and somehow we remained friends, but like... <laughs> And that's great. That's, and that's like, the thing is like people like what they like. I'm I, a firm believer in in let people like things. Yeah, that's I I I looked at him funny and went and he goes, "Why do people always look like 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 that at me when I say that?" <laughs> I went, "You know what, Claudio? Good." Because Nickelback is the Guy Fieri of rock bands. But like <laughs> And I love Guy Fieri. But so like <laughs> by the same like I don't get what the big deal is with Nickelback. Like I don't I don't particularly enjoy them, although they've got a couple of songs that, you know, they're kind of cool. They're I'm, they're nice I'll jams. I'll bop my head to it. They're um, all kind of the same, but you know, so is Andrew like, Lloyd Webber and I like that. All, all they all they do is all they do is, you know, make a bunch of people happy and that's cool. And yep. similarly, what is up people's butt about Guy Fieri? Because all he does is drive around and like and promote small make, businesses. Yeah, make small business owners happy and make them some money. So he eats good for and him. promotes Great small dude. business. Like he might be the biggest philanthropist in America. <laughs> he found a way to make a multi-million dollar career out of eating cheeseburgers. He's fucking brilliant, and the reason people hate him is they're jealous. That's my. I want to. I want to be him. I don't hate him. That's I why I think be he, him. That's why people hate him. They're jealous. They're like this fucker goes around the world and eats food and makes millions. And not only does he make millions, he is giving back to communities by promoting small business. Yeah. So everyone's just mad they didn't go on Shark Tank with this idea. So yeah, just jealous he got anyway, there first. Anyway, anyway. <laughs> 
fun little side tangent. Um, I could go on and on about uh, the Juggalos and about Insane Clown Posse. Like, we could do an entire episode of oh, an I'm hour sure. and a half long episode of this show just on them. Because they've been performing in one way or another since 1989. That's crazy. Um <laughs> So, like, they've got a long history old. to pull from, right? That's, wow. 33 years they've been doing this. But um, this is not actually a Juggalo podcast. No. So but if people want a part two, if people want a part two of the Juggalos or Insane Cloud Posity, then, if you're, then, yeah. then let if us you, know. If you want to know more, let us know. I'll, uh, I we'll can, do a part I'm, two. I'm happy to go into Juggalo culture. I'm happy to go into um, Dark Carnival a little bit if people are curious about the ins and outs of the the Insane Clown Posse like afterlife and I'm their, kind of their whole mythology. That. that sounds cool. Um, <laughs> I I can go into the the beef they had with Eminem. Like there's there's a lot of interesting cool stuff. I could do a whole thing just on their professional wrestling ring. That's hilarious. So, yes, write in what you'd like to hear more about the Juggalos and or Insane Clown, Clown Posse. That's hard to say with COVID. Insane Clown Posse. There, I did it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, as I said, this is this is not an ICP fan cast. This is not actually a clown podcast. What the hell do we do? I mean, I asked myself that about 30 minutes into every recording session. <laughs> yeah, and at this point, we're 24 minutes and 43 seconds hey. into so you're a little early this week. Um, um, but what we do is uh, we are a literary comedy podcast or a oh, comedy yeah. literature podcast or a fuck around and find out podcast. Yeah. Um, but uh, <laughs> basically what we do every week is we take turns reading short stories that we've pulled out of the public domain. And we're we're really trying to give these unknown authors a chance. You know, people like... Um, Edgar Allan Poe and H.P. Lovecraft and Agatha Christie and these these little unknowns who I think they might actually have a decent career once they get the Campfire Classics bump. That's true. But what honestly, like there are people that do not know who these people are. So I feel like we are educating, though I will. So I I had Wednesday on again yesterday while I was working on shit because now I've watched it. Right. And they reference Edgar Allan Poe so many times and some other, like Mary Shelley, they reference Mary, well, like yeah. a lot of gothic writers, a lot of dark writers, of course, because uh, Wednesday's an author and a detective in this series. Um, and I was like, you know what's really, and there's a lot of classical music in it as well. Mm-hmm. And I was like, as I was listening to it mainly yesterday, I was like, you know what's really fucking great about this series is it is introducing a lot of young people to some like classic literature and some classical music that they've yeah. probably never heard of, but because of this show, they're going to like get into it. And yeah. I'm I'm super into that. I love that. I hope we're doing a little bit of the same yeah. without the Netflix budget. <laughs> yeah. So this week I have selected a story for Heather to read, which means this week I get to share a few fun facts. <laughs> This week, week's author is one that we have done several times before, but it has been far too long since coming back to the great lady herself, Dame Agatha Christie. Yay, she's my hero. Uh, the third best-selling author of all time after only Shakespeare and Jesus, the original surfer girl, 
And our one true muse, we have covered Agatha pretty extensively, so I'm I'm not going to try to go into more detail about her right now. Um, check out previous episodes. I'll try to remember to put links in the show boogity um, show for boogity. fun facts about her. This week's facts are instead, apropos of nothing in the story to my knowledge, uh, they are about the history of our little surfer girl's favorite sport. Oh, yes. Yes. Uh, we learned in a previous episode that she was quite the avid surfer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Back in the 1920s, she could often be found at the beach in her swimsuit. What a fucking badass. Waves. She was such a badass. <laughs> um, so uh, at least 3,000, possibly as long ago as 5,000 years ago, the Incas in Peru would go out fishing on rafts that they made of reeds. They were sort of flat, slightly curved, kind of kayak-shaped rafts made of reeds that they lashed together. And to come back into shore, they could be seen surfing on their rafts, sort of knee surfing. Um, And descriptions from Spanish missionaries, when they finally arrive, talk about the natives like cutting across the waves on their boards in in spectacular ways and riding the waves in ways oh that my they, God. They, they'd never seen before and couldn't I wanna, quite understand. I want to hear some Incan, like, Beach Boys music. <laughs> <laughs> you know they had songs about it. You know they did. <laughs> I'm sure. Um, uh, Polynesian and Hawaiian culture is where modern surfing started. That makes sense. Um, we've got uh, starting in about 400 AD, so you know, 1600 years ago. There, there is um, representation of them on shortboards, basically doing like bodyboarding or bellyboarding, um, okay. surfing on their bellies on boogie boarding? boards. Boogie boarding. Boogie boarding. Um, <laughs> Uh, but this this is where uh, in Hawaii is where the first reports of people standing up on surfboards, surfing as we know it today, come from uh, from travelers. Uh, particularly, there were some some English travelers, uh, English settlers or whatever in the 18th century. So in the early 1700s who reported seeing the natives up on surfboards. Cool. Um, Mark Twain and Herman Melville both wrote, wrote stories that include Hawaiian natives surfing after um, after having visited Hawaii themselves. All right. In 1885, in July of 1885, three teenage Hawaiian princes took a break from their boarding school in San Mateo to come cool off in Santa Cruz, California. Uh, there, they surfed in the mouth of the San Lorenzo River on custom-shaped redwood boards, and that caught the attention of a whole bunch of locals. Ah, uh, the white people were like, oh my god, that looks fun, let's do it! Yeah, um, so uh, it started catching on, and uh, apparently Hawaiians started coming to California to do some surfing because they discovered there were some great beaches for for surfing in California. And in 1890, there was an agricultural educational guy named John Wrightson who uh, apparently became the first British surfer when he got two of his Hawaiian students to teach him how to surf during like downtime in between classes at university. 
You know they didn't do any studying. <laughs> he was like, so I hear you guys do this thing that everyone's talking about. Like, I'll give you both A's if we just can go surfing all the time. <laughs> um, by 1907, George Freeth, the father of modern surf, was putting on displays of his surfing skills as a tourist attraction two times a day at Hotel Redondo at Redondo Beach. Okay. Um, by the early 1920s, Agatha Christie was out there surfing it up and then the sixties hit and the beach boys, most of whom had never surfed a day in their lives became (laughs) the most famous surfers in America. So funny. I remember doing a deep dive into this with my father of like being like, yep, none of them surfed. I think one of them tried to surf sometimes. Dennis, the drummer, was yes. a surfer. Yeah. Um, but he was the only one. And like he wasn't even like a surfer. He was like he'd been on surfboards. He'd like go out. He wasn't like Yeah. He, he wasn't he good wasn't, at it. He wasn't professional. <laughs> yeah. But he he enjoyed it. He was an he, avid surfer. He enjoyed but he being was in the water. A, yeah. yeah. He was not he was not a pro. Um, and then in 2018, Heather and Ken went surfing for their first time together. Yes, we this did. This was, for me, the most important landmark in the history yeah, of It was surfing. a pretty important landmark. But this week's story probably has nothing to do with surfing. I don't we know. Find out. Because it's a story I have absolutely no context for. It is a story called The Wife of the Kenite. Oh, all Let's right. start this fire. Okay. The wife of the Kenite. Kenit? Kenit? It's Kenite. Kenite. You know Kenite. what? How about we look up that word in the title? Let's look it up. It's like in grad school and be like, let's divulge into what this title means of the play. <laughs> what does the word wife mean to you? What does it mean? What does the word of mean to you? Why are there two thes in this title? <laughs> uh, oh, so according to the Bible, oh, the good. Kenites were a nomadic tribe. Uh, according to some scholars, they are the descendants of Cain. Oh, so like in in Bible terms, the descendants of the bad people. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> I like to think I would have been a Cain in biblical times. <laughs> so I guess Kenite or Cainite. Oh, Cainite, maybe. Let's say Cainite. I like that. Cool. The Wife of the Cainite by Agatha Christie. Herr Schaefer removed his hat and wiped his perspiration. Your, your first character's German. <laughs> of course he is. At least he's not French. Look, and I didn't say perspiring correctly, so we're off to a great COVID-19 start. <laughs> yeah. Herr Schaefer removed his hat and wiped his perspiring brow. He was hot. He was hungry and thirsty, especially yeah, the latter. Well, damn, Herr Schaefer. Woo, this is a steamy story. All right. <laughs> but above all, he was anxious. Oh, darling, I understand. Oh, get that, yeah. <laughs> yep. Before him stretched the yellow expanse of the veldt. I wonder what that is. is that the a veldt? desert? The veldt? 
It's German word, I'm guessing, the way it's yeah, spelled. Yeah, it's that, the, that German desert. <laughs> you know, the first time I skied was in the German Alps. Like, And when I was a kid, I was like, I thought those were in France. <laughs> like, nope, most of them are in Germany. The Welt. Open, uncultivated country or grassland uh, in southern Africa. Oh, okay. So it could very much be a desert, but it's a grassland. Yep. Okay. Uh, but basically, it's any any like flat, treeless, like a plains, open the area, plains. like a plains. So it's basically think uh, of the Iowa. Midwest. I was gonna say the Midwest cornfields <laughs> without the corn. Okay, cool. Behind him, the line of the horizon was broken by the dumps of the outlying portion of the reef. And from far away, in the direction of Johannesburg, came a sound... South Africa, all right. Yes. <laughs> in the direction of Johannesburg came a sound like distant thunder. But it was not thunder, as Air Schaefer knew only too well. It was monotonous and regular, and represented the triumph of law and order over the forces of revolution. Ooh. Oh, no. <laughs> what's, what's going on here? This is pre-apartheid quite a bit. Oh, yeah. Uh, like, quite a bit. Um, incidentally, it was having a most wearing effect on the nerves of Air Schaefer. The position yeah, gunfire in, does that. Well, gunfire does that, and also, like, he's German. What, what year are we in? We don't know. We don't know. <laughs> so, okay, cool. Um, yeah. The position in which he found himself was an unpleasant one. The swift, efficient proclamation of martial law, followed by the dramatic arrival of smuts. Smuts. Not uh, sluts. Not sluts. Smuts. Smuts. Yeah, the dirty magazines. Smuts. <laughs> oh, the porn fell out. All the porno magazines are like dropped from the planes instead of bombs. Porno magazines. It's capitalized. Is that a person? Oh. It might just be a person's name. It could just be a person's name. Like, following by the dramatic arrival of Smuts. Yeah, I bet Smuts is a dude. Maybe Smuts is a person. That makes sense. We'll cut but all he's that. Probably, he's probably also dirty and uh, covered in, in soot because yeah. he's in a war zone. And cool. the tires of his car had been shot out. Yeah. The swift, efficient proclamation of martial law, followed by the dramatic arrival of Smuts with the tires of his car shot flat, had had the effect of completely disorganizing the carefully laid plans of Schaefer and his friends. And Schaefer himself had narrowly escaped being laid by the heels. For the moment, he was at large, but the present was uncomfortable, and the future too problematic to be pleasant." Oh, shit. This guy's yeah, in trouble. War sucks. War does suck, but it sounds like he almost died and like, but yeah. right now sucks and he's worried about the future too. In good sound German, Herr Schaefer cursed the country, the climate, the Rand, and all workers thereon, and most especially his late employers, the Reds. Oh, so has he escaped Germany? Could be. Or is he... Or is, is he speaking of the Russians, the Reds? I'm just thinking of, like, communists. The, the um, communists, yeah. Okay. Um, it could be something else, too, because, like, we don't know we don't know what year this is. Yeah, we don't. So we know that the, the story was written, you know, 19-teens, 1920s. But um, aside from that, 
uh, we don't know like if it's, she she yeah. could. She, which means it's definitely pre-World War II. Yeah, it might be World War One. But it could be World War One. It could be the 1890s. It could be the 1850s. Like, we yeah. have no idea when it's set. Oh, we're going to find out or we're not. La, da, da. This is why it's fun what we do. <laughs> Although it's probably pretty contemporary to when it was written. Probably yeah. the teens or 20s because the tires, of, the tires of his car, car. had yeah. been shot out. Well, and she tends to write in the present-ish. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like so World War One or the aftermath of, yeah. As a paid agitator, he had done his work with true German efficiency, but his military upbringing and his years of service with the German army in Belgium led him to admire the forcefulness of smuts and to despise unfeigningly the untraining rabble devoid of discipline which had crumbled to pieces at the first real test. They are scum, said Air Schaefer, gloomily, moistening his cracked lips. It's fine. Yum. <laughs> moistening cracked lips. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> oh, no. Love a good moistening crack. Oh, Lord. Okay. It's fine. <laughs> Fine. No drilling, no order, no discipline. Ragged commandos riding loose about the veldt. Ah, if they had but one Prussian drill sergeant. Involuntarily, his back straightened. For a year, he had been endeavoring to cultivate a slouch, which, together with a ragged beard, might make his apparent dealing in such innocent vegetable produce as cabbages, cauliflowers, and potatoes less open to doubt. So he'd been faking being yep. a, a slouchy vegetable like, farmer. Basically a, a peasant or yeah. like a farmer. Yeah. A momentary shiver went down his spine as he reflected that certain papers might even now be in the hands of the military. Papers whereon the word cabbage stood opposite dynamite and potatoes were labeled detonators. No, Ruh-roh. not the potatoes. The potatoes are too good. Don't blow them up. <laughs> I love potatoes. I, I think they're only potatoes in his... Um... Yes, in his writings. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> the sun was nearing the horizon. Soon the cool of evening would set in. If he could only reach a friendly farm, there were one or two hereabouts he knew... He would find shelter for the night and explicit directions that might set him on the road to freedom on the morrow. Suddenly, his eyes narrowed appreciatively upon a point to his extreme left. Melius? <laughs> what is that word? It looks like meals, but it's like mealies. Mealies? <laughs> I want mealies. Maybe he's really hungry and he's forgotten what meals are called. Mealies. I'm mealies. <laughs> um, it's a type of corn. Oh, nice. South African corn, especially sweet corn. Oh, sweet. Yes. So basically it's South African Iowa corn because that's what we make is sweet yeah. corn. Cool. And it's super flat. So they're chilling in So when we said it was like Iowa, we were absolutely right. Yep. <laughs> Good to know. Um, say it again. Miles. Mealy. It is mealy. Cool. Mealy, said Air Schaefer. 
Where there are mealies, there is a farm not far off. That's close enough. That's just my German accent. <laughs> His reasoning proved correct. A rough track led through the cultivated belt of land. He came first to a cluster of crawls, avoiding them dexterously, since he had no wish to be seen if the farm should not prove to be one of those he sought. And skirting a slight rise came suddenly upon the farm itself. It was the usual low building with a corrugated roof and a stoop running round two steps of it. So like a wraparound porch. Yeah. <laughs> so we're in Iowa, South Africa. I love it. Okay. The sun was setting. Iowa, Africa. Iowa, Africa. <laughs> the sun was setting now, a red, angry blur on the horizon, and a woman was standing in the open doorway, looking out into the falling dusk. Herr Schaefer pulled his hat well over his eyes and came up to the steps. Is this by chance the farm of Mr. Henschel? he asked. The woman nodded without speaking, staring at him with wide blue eyes. Schaefer drew a deep breath of relief and looked back at her with a measure of appreciation. He admired the Dutch wide-bosomed type. So just this. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, mm, I love them blonde, big-titty Dutch women. <laughs> I, I like those Dutch boobies. Now all I'm hoping is that she's dressed in like a full like uh what's the uh the thing they wear at like Oktoberfest with like the 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 corset and it's Durndle. like Durndle. Durndle? Durndle. Durndle. Yep. Yeah. Yes, yes. All right. So this lady's standing looking out at the farm. I just imagine yeah. she's sitting at she's standing watching the sunset with two jugs of beer and a Durndle on and two Durndle. braids. There are not <laughs> enough vowels in that word. No, but I mean D I R N D L. Yep. <laughs> That's but a like, lot of sounds, one vowel. Durndle. A couple of the words I've read in this are the same because they're German. Yeah. And it's just that's why Germans sound so angry. There's not enough vowels because vowels are soft and consonants are hard. So that's why German always sounds like they're mad, even when they're like, I love you so much. <laughs> because they're like, looking for the vowels. Where the <laughs> fuck did I put my vowels? Where did the vowels go? <laughs> A grand creature with her full breast. <laughs> That's two boob references in one line. Yep. A grand creature with her full breast and her wide hips. Not young, nearer 40 than 30. Well, damn. Oh. While I feel, I feel attacked, is this woman me? <laughs> not, not young. She had big boobs and was like 38. <laughs> so it's me standing on a wraparound porch <laughs> with a couple beers in my hand. I like yeah. this story. I like this story. I've, uh, I have not heard Agatha Christie talk about breasts nearly enough. And apparently she likes them wide. W wide hips. Birthing hips. <laughs> Those are the good birthing hips. Yep. So she's nearer 40 than 30. Fair hair, just touched with gray, parted simply in the middle of her wide forehead. Something grand and forceful about her, like a patriarch's wife of old. <laughs> Okay, this woman's my, my hero. This this will be the titular, <laughs> titular, <laughs> the titular wife, I'm guessing. Oh, yes, I'm sure. A fine mother of sons, thought Air Schaefer appreciatively. Also, let's hope a good cook. 
Oh, yes, I hope she's birthed many boys and she can also roast a chicken. <laughs> you know, the two things women are good for. His requirements of women were primitive and simple. <laughs> I love it. I love that Agatha Christie is writing this, like, just, like, this very, like, typical, like, man who's just, yep. like, blah, 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 woman, I like titties. But then because she's the one writing it, she gets to comment on the yep. character's nasty, like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, frat, uh... Masculine energy, too much masculine in the, His the patriarchy. Toxic masculinity. Tax, toxic masculinity. There it is. Um, Mr. Henschel expects me, I think, said the German, and added in a slightly lower tone, I am interested in potatoes. <laughs> and that is not a euphemism, honey. <laughs> Though he seems to be very interested in her potatoes. I am here for your potatoes. Potatoes. <laughs> She gave the expected reply. We, too, are cultivators of vegetables. She spoke the words correctly, but with a strong accent. Oh, no. Uh, no, she's she does not get an accent. That's fair. <laughs> Her accent is an American accent in, in this story. We, too, are cultivators of vegetables. <laughs> I like that choice. I'm going with that. We, too, are cultivators of vegetables. She spoke the words correctly, but with a strong accent. No, that is not South African, but I'm going with it, so fuck well, it. Well, she's, she's Dutch, so that's that's what a that's, southern, that's what that's it sounds like in the farmer, southern parts Dutch of farmer, Netherlands. A Dutch farmer in South Africa, that's what they sound like. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've done my research. Her English was evidently not her strong point, and Schaefer put her down as belonging to one of those Dutch nationalist families who forbid their children to use the interloper's tongue. With a big, work-stained hand, she pointed behind him. You come from Joburg, yes? <laughs> this was the correct choice. I hate this choice. <laughs> Well, it's definitely going to distinguish him between her. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know who's talking. Yep. He nodded. Things are finished there. I escaped by the skin of my teeth. Then I lost myself on the veldt. It is pure chance that I found my way here. The Dutch woman shook her head. A strange ecstatic smile irradiated her broad features. There is no chance. Only God... Enter then. It is the correct choice. <laughs> I also like that you've given her a sort of whistly voice thing in the back of your throat that makes her sound much closer to 80 than 40. That's just my COVID. <laughs> <laughs> Approving her sentiments, for Air Schaefer liked a woman to be religious, he crossed the threshold. <laughs> She drew back and let him pass, the smile still lingering on her face, and just for a moment, the thought that there was something here he did not quite understand flashed across Air Schaefer's mind. He dismissed the idea as of little importance. Uh-oh, you gotta, you gotta go. That's his mistake right there. The house was built, like most, in the form of an H. The inner hall, 
from which rooms opened out all around was pleasantly cool. The table was spread in preparation for a meal. The woman showed him to a bedroom. Yeah. <laughs> and on his return to the hall, when he had removed the boots from his aching feet, he found Henschel awaiting him. An Englishman, this, with a mean, vacuous face. A little rat of a fellow, drunk with catchwords and phrases. It was amongst such as he that most of Schaefer's work had lain, and he knew the type well. Abusive capitalists of the rich who batten on the poor, the iniquities of the chamber of mines, the heroic endurance of the miners. These were the topics on which Henschel expatiated. Schaefer nodded wearily with his mind fixed solely on food and drink. <laughs> it's like, oh my God, shut up. <laughs> Where's that woman with the big boobs and the good cooking? I liked her. And here she comes. At last, the woman appeared, bearing a steaming turin of soup. They sat down together and fell to. It was good soup. Henschel yeah. yeah, good soup. Henschel continued to talk. His wife was silent. Schaefer contented himself with monosyllables and appropriate grunts. When Mrs. Henschel left the room to bring in the next course, he said appreciatively, your wife is a good cook. You are lucky. Not all Dutch women cook well. <laughs> Rude. <laughs> Henschel stared at him. My wife is not Dutch. <laughs> now he's British because he's an Englishman, as yep. we have found out. We got three very distinct accents going on in this. In this, you said he's British, right? An yeah. Englishman. He's English. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and yeah, so at least two of them are attempting to be regionally appropriate. Yes. <laughs> Schaefer looked at his astonishment, but the shortness of Henschel's tone and some unacknowledged uneasiness in himself forbade him asking further. It was odd, though. He had been so sure that she was Dutch. After the meal, he sat on the stoop in the cool dusk smoking. Somewhere in the house behind him, a door banged. It was followed by the noise of a horse's hoofs. Vaguely uneasy, he sat forward, listening as they grew fainter in the distance, then started violently to find Mrs. Henschel standing at his elbow with a steaming cup of coffee. She set it down on a little table beside him. My husband has ridden over to clothes to make the arrangements for getting you away in the morning, she explained. <laughs> Oh, I see. Curious how this uneasiness persisted. When will he be back? Sometime after midnight. <laughs> the array of accents in this one is amazing. His uneasiness was not allayed. Yet, what was this that he feared? Surely not that Henschel would give him up to the police. No, the man was sincere enough. A red-hot revolutionist. The fact of the matter was that he, Conrad Schaefer, had got nerves. A German soldier, Schaefer unconsciously always thought of himself as a soldier, had no business with nerves. He took up the cup beside him and drank it down, making a grimace as he did so. What filthy stuff this boar coffee always was. <laughs> Roasted acorns, he was sure of it. Roasted acorns. <laughs> 
That's not coffee. There's no caffeine in acorns. That's not coffee. That's squirrel juice. What the fuck? (laughs) He put down the cup again, and as he did so, a deep sigh came from the woman standing by his side. He had almost forgotten her presence. Uh, Will you not sit down, he asked, making no motion, however, to rise from his own seat. She shook her head. I have to clear away and wash the dishes and make my house straight. (laughs) Schaefer nodded an approving head. The uh, The children are already in bed, I suppose, he said genially. There was a pause before she answered. I have no children. Schaefer Her was voice is now bouncing back and forth <laughs> between an 80-year-old woman and, like, a 13-year-old child bride. <laughs> I think that's about where she is. Let's be real. I don't think this woman's living a very good life. <laughs> I'm guessing. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like she's in a war-torn country, not where she's from, living with a rat-faced Englishman and random people, like, come into her house and, like, eat her food Wanting and stare at her squeeze her potatoes. Yeah, like, <laughs> this, this woman sounds conflicted, let's, let's just say. Schaefer was surprised. From the moment he saw her, he had definitely associated her with motherhood. It's he just boobs. wanted to suck on her boobs. Yep. <laughs> yeah. She took up the cup and walked to the entrance with it. Then she spoke over her shoulder. I had one child. It died. Ach, I'm sorry, said Schaefer kindly. The woman did not answer. She stood there motionless, and suddenly Schaefer's uneasiness returned at a hundredfold. Only this time, he connected it definitely, not with the house, not with Henschel, but with this slow-moving, grandly-fashioned woman, this wife of Henschel's who was neither English nor Dutch, His curiosity roused afresh. He asked her the question point blank. What nationality was she? Flemish. (laughs) Flemish? That's how I have felt the past few days, for sure. (laughs) Flemish. (laughs) She said the word abruptly, then passed into the house, leaving Air Schaefer disturbed and upset. He hates phlegm. Uh, Everybody hates phlegm. Yeah. Flemish! That was it, was it? Flemish? His mind flew swiftly to and fro from the mudflats to Belgium to the sun-baked plateaus of South Africa. Flemish! And he didn't like it. Both the French and the Belgians were so extraordinarily unreasonable they couldn't (laughs) forget. His mind felt curiously confused. He yawned two or three times, wide, gaping yawns. He must get to bed and asleep. Sleep. Pah! How bitter that coffee had been. He could taste it still. (laughs) A light sprang up in the house. He got up and made his way to the door. His legs felt curiously unsteady. Oh, she just fucking drugged him. She poisoned him. (laughs) (laughs) Inside, the big woman was sitting reading by the light of a small oil lamp. Herr Schaefer felt strangely reassured at the sight of the heavy volume of her knee. The Bible... He approved of women reading the Bible. <laughs> sure, naturally. Mm-hmm. The Bible doesn't have any strange ideas that it could put in someone's head. Definitely has no fucked up things at all. Oh my God, I found this group on TikTok. I sent it to you. I sent it to a few friends, actually. 
um, these this couple sings like these kind of folky <laughs> renditions of actual Bible verses that are super fucked up, and they had like they've had to put on their thing like this is parody over and over <laughs> because the shit like some of the stuff I'm like it does not say that in the Bible it does yes it does <laughs> anyway I'm pretty sure they also have to put some graphic content warnings on some of them they do they yeah. do <laughs> which again huh the Bible he approved of women reading the Bible he was a religious man himself with a thorough belief in the German God the God of the Old Testament, a God of blood and battles, of thunder and lightning, of very, very frightening me, Galileo, <laughs> of material rewards and dire material vengeance, swift to anger and terrible in wrath. Interesting, because that's what the Jewish people believe in too. And look where the we're Old about Testament. to head. Yeah. This is like <laughs> twenty years before that. <laughs> he stumbled to a chair. What was the matter with his legs? And in a thick, strange voice, suppressed another terrific yawn. He asked her what chapter she was reading. Her blue eyes under their level brows met his. Something inscrutable in their depths. So might have looked a prophetess of Israel. The fourth chapter of Judges. He nodded, yawning again. He must go to bed. But the effort to rise was too much for him. His eyelids closed. The fourth chapter of Judges. What was the fourth chapter of Judges? His uneasiness returned, swelled into terror. Something was wrong. Judges. Sleep overcame him. He went down into the depths, and horror went with him. Oh, no. When he came to, he was tied to a bed. You've seen misery. <laughs> He awoke, dragging himself back to consciousness. Time had passed. Much time. He felt certain of it. Where was he? He blinked up at the light. There were pains in his arms and legs. He felt sick. The taste of the coffee was still in his mouth, but what was this? He was lying on the floor, bound hand and foot with strips of towel, and standing over him was the sinister figure of the woman who was not Dutch. His wits came back to him in a flash of sheer desperate fear. He was in danger, great danger. So it is misery. <laughs> misery with a large-breasted Belgian woman. Well, I would argue Kathy Bates is a large-breasted Irish woman or Ger I mean, I, I wonder what her heritage is. But <laughs> Mostly English as well yeah. as Irish, Scottish, and German ancestry. There you go. So... Oh, one of Kathy Bates' ancestors, an Irish immigrant to New Orleans, once served as President Andrew Jackson's doctor. Oh, cool. That's a shame. <laughs> if he Did hadn't he come around, Jackson might have died. Yeah. <laughs> Whoopsie. Before he died. Before he actually died. All right, so he's tied up on the ground and this woman is standing over him. Kathy Bates is leering over him. <laughs> Kathy Bates is leering. She marked the growth of consciousness in his eyes and answered it as though he had actually spoken. Yes, I will tell you now. You remember passing through a place called Vluchplatz in Belgium? Uh-oh. 
Oh, no. This isn't going to be good, dude. This is going to be awesome. You are so screwed. This is going to be awesome. He recalled the name, some two-penny ha, penny village he had passed through with his regiment. She nodded and went on. You came to my door with some other soldiers. My man was away with the Belgian army. My first man, not Henschel. I have only been married to him two years. The boy, my little one, he was only four years of age, ran out. He began to cry. What child would not? He feared the soldiers. You ordered him to stop. He could not. You seized a chopper, ah, oh God, and struck off his hand. You laughed and said, that hand will never wield a weapon against Germany. It is not true, cried Schaefer shrilly, and even if it was, it was war. She paid no heed, but went on. I struck you in the face. What mother would not have done otherwise? You caught up the child and dashed him against the wall. She stopped, her voice broken, her breasts heaving. Schaefer murmured feebly, abandoning the idea of denial. It was war! It was war! And sweat stood on his brow. He was alone with this woman, miles from help. I recognized you at once this afternoon in spite of your beard. You did not recognize me. You said it was chance that led you here, but I knew it was God. Her bosom heaved, her Still eyes... Still with the bosom, dude. Yeah. He's, Find he, another focus. He can't... St- I mean, he's like, I'm about to die. I might as well, like, stare at some boobs, I guess. <laughs> her bosom heaved. Her eyes flashed with a fanatical light. Her god was Schaefer's god, a god of vengeance. She was uplifted by the strange, stern frenzy of a priestess of old. He has delivered you into my hands. Wild words poured from Schaefer, arguments, prayers, appeals for mercy, threats, and all left her untouched. God sent me another sign. When I opened the Bible tonight, I saw what he would have me do. Blessed above women shall Yael, the wife of Herber and the Canite, be. Oh, here we go. She stooped and took from the floor a hammer and some long shilling nails. She's going to crucify him. Yep. (laughs) Fuck. A scream burst from Schaefer's throat. He remembered now the fourth chapter of Judges, that dramatic story of black inhospitality. Seressa fleeing from his enemies, a woman standing at the door of a tent, Yael, the wife of Heber, the Canite. And sonorously, in her deep voice with the broad Flemish accent, her eyes shining as the Israelite women's may have shown in bygone days, she spoke the words of triumph. This is the day in which the Lord hath delivered mine enemy into my hand. The end. Good Lord. Oh, shit. <laughs> Agatha, that one was fucking dark. Um, that I is, loved that. Uh, yeah, that that is, I mean, that's a little bit worthy of, um, uh, of Poe. It's that a, was like it's a twisted revenge tale. 
That was Poe. That was Stephen King. That was like fucking, I mean, that was, that was not a typical Agatha Christie at all. That was really cool. <laughs> but there was still a twist. There has to be a twist. Like that's, that's always there. But yeah, like ah. the revenge. So, um, for those of our listeners who possibly don't know Judges Chapter 4, she did oh. not crucify him. Uh, what oh Yael does is um, take the guy who has, uh, I think, murdered her sister or something like that. Okay. Uh, and takes a tent peg and a mallet and drives the tent peg into his head. <laughs> like, hammers it into his temple. Oh man! Um, drives it in so hard that his it it goes through his head into the ground on the other side, and he dies pinned through the brain to the ground. Holy fuck! Yeah, that's some misery shit right there. Yep. That is that is. But she just got straight to it. She didn't torture him. She, you know what this also reminded me of. Uh, it reminded me of the scene at the end of Inglorious Bastards when uh, <laughs> the girl comes yep. on the screen and is like, you will all fucking burn. Like, yep. um, it's like getting your revenge on these on these German soldiers that, you know, killed killed your family and ruined your life. And yeah. Yep. I, wow. Wow. That all one. Right. I not, liked that one a lot. <laughs> not not our typical fare from Lady Agatha, but not our typical fare. But I enjoyed one. that, and I yeah. enjoyed all the uh, the dialect choices. Um, <laughs> I love that you were like, she sounds like a broken woman or an older woman. And I'm like, well, she's been through some shit. Yeah, she's definitely trying to hide that she's angry, so she's acting like coy, and then like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it it all worked. That <laughs> it was all nice. kind of worked, minus. The Flemish accent, which that was my version of Flemish. That was that was Heather's take on the Flemish dialect. <laughs> oh, Flemish. Oh, I was trying to be Flemmy. Uh, Flemmy, which I've already I've got very good right now. So. <laughs> wow, that was fabulous. I, I enjoyed that one. I did not know where that was going. I was nope, like, had no idea. I was like, is the husband going to come back like, and see what's going on? Does the husband already know? And that's why he left. I'm guessing that's why he left. Or I'm guess, well, I'm I don't know. It seemed. Maybe, because like he seems like a guy that was like on like the mission, but yeah, maybe he maybe just, he was maybe he was just like I'll leave you with him and you do she what might you have need just, to do. She might have just convinced him that like no, you should go do what you have to do tonight. It's I'll fine. look after him. This yeah. guy's. He, I'll take care of him. I'll feed him. It'll be fine. Yeah, and he I'm, comes back and she's like, I don't know what happened. <laughs> I think it was suicide. <laughs> I, I came in the room and he was just pounding this thing into his head. Like, oh, honey, that must have been horrible to watch. Yeah, I don't know what happened. It was really strange. It was weird, but it was, it corresponded with the Bible story I was reading. Oh, my gosh. I think this is just what happens when you give Germans coffee. <laughs> we should, we should probably keep an eye on, you know, allowing the German people to have too many stimulants over the next 20 years or so. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> well, at least this one didn't have to bother anyone else. So. Yeah. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> wow. That that was good. So, hey, listener, what do you think of that one? 
Uh, did you enjoy that departure from Agatha Christie's traditional um, m- murder mystery sort of setup? Or did you find it unsettling in a way that you weren't quite prepared for? Or is both true? Because both. that is absolutely okay. Both is good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think both is what Agatha would want. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let us let us know how you felt about the story. And don't forget to write in and let us know what your favorite seasonal slash holiday treats are because we really want to know. You can shoot that information either to 5050artsproduction at gmail.com. Com or find us on any of those them their social medias just look for campfire classics podcast and we will be the ones that pop up and uh when you do send us that message go ahead and feel free to include this week's secret passcode which is grab her potatoes <laughs> yum i love potatoes <laughs> That's all I have for this week. Heather, do you have anything to share before uh, we disappear into the internet for another seven days? Um, I hope next week I am not COVID positive and I'm impressed with myself for reading that story with my brain fog. So. Yay. <laughs> Yay, I well did done. it. Yeah, please go ahead and send some send some well wishes Heather's way as well if you're feeling yeah. in a social media type mood. Yeah. Um, And on that note, until next week, this has been Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf. Welcome to my house in the middle of the desert. Welcome to my house. Come in and see potatoes. I'm gonna nail your...